Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I gotta tell you something, people. It's the 40th anniversary of one of the quintessential albums of the 80s, The Lexicon of Love by ABC. And I remember when the album came out because it really started gaining traction in America my freshman year in college. And it played everywhere in our dorms, at the bars. And my guest had such a soulful, soulful voice, and the songs just popped. And we all loved his hair and loved the way he dressed. We thought he was the coolest dude around. And my guest from ABC is Martin Fry. How you doing, Martin? Hello, Steve. How are you doing? Very kind of you to say. Well, it, cool. it's, Back it's in day, 1982. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it was one of those things. It was that album that popped and MTV was so big and we all loved it. And it's funny when you, I listen to it this week and whenever I have a guest coming back on, I go back and listen, you know, and I was just, it's just great. And that's the one thing I love about eighties music is because it, takes me back and to a time when I had hair, I'm bald now, and I just it was just a different time. I mean, as a singer, that must make you feel great because you've touched so many people. Yeah, I mean, we came through with the, the Lexicon of Love. It would be 82, 40 years to the day, actually. Somebody said it came out last week, last Wednesday, in the UK, uh, with Look of Love, uh, Poison Arrow, Tears Not Enough, All of My Heart were songs on that album. Yeah, we had a... Well, it was the dawn of the MTV age, so uh, every band coming out of Britain had their own defined kind of style and look. You know, I think Adam and the Ants kind of set that trend, but, uh, you know, with Depeche Mode, I suppose, Duran, Duran, ABC, Human League, Soft Cell, all those bands coming through at the time kind of had their own thing going. Um, to stand on a stage today in 2022, and I'm in Milwaukee today, I'm just sound checking for Summerfest, I mean, it's a great feeling to be able to play those songs and other songs from the ABC career. That from uh, The secret is, people talk to me about nostalgia, but the secret is, I mean, when you go and see a band, you want them to be something special. You don't want them to say they were great once upon a time. You want to feel brilliant in that moment, and that's the secret of uh, performing, I think. So to sing uh, Look of Love today in 2022... Uh, yeah, a lot happens. On, there's a magic there. It's all about the audience. Uh, so there is an element of people going, yeah, man, I remember before I had that mortgage and that that second wife and, uh, you know, everything went pear-shaped. Um, there's an element of that, but also there's an element of, like, we're here today, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about uh, music. I think I just pressed something there. Yeah, so I should be back in there. So uh, I do find that a really potent mix to be able to get on stage, play music from the past, and make it mean something now. Well, it does, and it's funny. Um, it, it, it's trans. I love going to concerts, and that's one thing I enjoy. And it, you can. So, like, what's the last concert you went to, Steve? Uh, I actually, the last concert I went to was last week at the, the Doobie Brothers. Ah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And this Great. coming week, I'm seeing Chicago, and then I'm yeah. seeing um, uh, Howard Jones and Mitch York. They both been on my yeah. show. And I'm seeing X and the Psychedelic Furs next Saturday. So I'm going to a lot of concerts. And I wish you guys were coming to Philadelphia. But you aren't, but oh well. Um, I would love to come to Philadelphia. I came to Philadelphia and worked with a guy called King Britt once in the studios. And we used the TSOP studios. Uh, I was guesting on his record a few years ago. I mean, you've got to understand, I grew up listening to the sound of Philadelphia, you know. So for me to be able... It's like 
a Beatles fan going to Liverpool from the cavern for me, going to Philly. Also, uh, Bowie did his live album at the Tower Theatre Ballroom, I think it was called, uh, David Live. So, yeah, Philly's, I mean, everything from Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes and the OJs and, you know, all that material from t uh, The Sound of Philadelphia, that instrumental. That, that music is a big part of me growing up. Now, now, sound, really. That's why we put strings and stuff on our music. We it is it is great when you grow up across style to some of those you know great records yeah but do it in our own way and in our own style because we were obviously a band from the north of england you know we, we were kind of coming at it from a different angle yeah now i got a question for you i know in your you just did some tour, uh, dates in the uk and you played royal yeah. you played royal albert hall but yeah. you also played that years ago Explain the differences of the two because once again it's spanned a long time and it's great you can play such a prestigious place. But tell me about the first time and then this last time. Well, uh, first time round was about just about ten years ago. A promoter called Simon Moran came to me, big promoter in the UK, does SJM, and he said, "I love the lexicon. I love. I'd love to hear it with a full orchestra." And I'm thinking, how feasible is that? You know, cost, one, it costs a lot of money, <laughs> and two, I wonder if we could do it. So we set about getting the scores together. When you play with the orchestra, there are scores for everything, obviously. Even the guy with the triangle has his own kind of sheets and sheets of paper to follow. They're reading uh, the scores. So it took us a while to get kind of that right. And we played, and it was a phenomenal success. You know, people came. They loved hearing those songs in that context. Originally on the album, uh, The Look of Love All In My Heart, there were some strings, but not as many as you think. So years later... It's great to do the record on steroids, if you like. You know, it was kind of enhanced. Uh, I did that night. I looked out into the audience and I thought, you know something? It'd be really nice to kind of write a follow-up to the lexicon of love. It's interesting the way people's lives evolve. We've all grown up through the mists of time, haven't we? You know, and as I say, all the crazy stuff that happens to every single person. That, to me, is in, that's fascinating. You know, that's life, as, as Frank Sinatra once said. So... Um, yeah, it was really inspiring. Each time we've played uh, with the orchestra, we've been able to evolve the scores to the point where uh, we had a brilliant time two weeks ago at the Albert Hall. It was just, I've noticed as well, after lockdown, people come out and they're just itching to have a good time. Have you seen that, Steve, at gigs where people, one, the merch stand's empty. People want to, you know, buy a souvenir of their favourite bands. But also, there is a real kind of relish, a real kind of feeling of, I really, I'm out with my wife, with my friends, whatever, I'm out, I'm going to have a good time. And the tour was a fantastic success recently, yeah. Well, you're right. I've noticed that going to concerts. You know, those first few concerts, and then yeah. everyone's just into it because, you know, we all say we love music, and, and then when it, live music disappears, yeah. you go, oh, my God, wait a second. You know, I, and for me, I was like, wait, I can't go to concerts, you know, and, and I, once, yeah, once we came out, everyone's just like, Holy, holy crap, we're at a concert. Let's have fun. We played a couple of shows last August. In the UK, you were allowed, we went and did Let's Rock. It's like a festival, 15,000 people there. Um, and I drove up to Liverpool, parked my car, went through the, all the testing sites to get into the site. And just to see a crowd was such a bizarre thing. And up on stage was Peter Hook and the light, the guy from New Order, and he's playing Blue Monday. And i got to admit, a tear just rolled down my cheek. You know, it was so moving to see an audience for the first time, you know, in front of a great musician. So 
it was nice to play a couple of shows, but I have to say, last year it was kind of like everybody was just looking over their shoulders. It was a little bit twitchy on the on the festival sites. People would come in, camp up, watch the shows, then leave. You know, they they kind of you know for obvious reasons. This year's different. People are kind of more relaxed slightly. I think. So. Now, I mean, how did ABC? How did ABC come to fruition? How did you guys? I know you were uh, uh, writing for a magazine or an editor. Or yeah, how, how did fanzine. Fanzine was just my little bits of paper clipped together, but it got me into gigs free. You know, it's like it's like doing podcasts. You get into gigs free. It's a great way of meeting uh, meeting women and stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I was a young man, I've been happily married for many years, but um, it was a great way of um, just being a part of it all. So I had a fanzine called Modern Drugs, and then I'd interview. Um, bands in Sheffield where I lived, you know, go and see them and say, you know, ask them questions and stuff. Uh, and I, I went out to see one band and they said, you can stick around, you can you can play keyboards with us if you want. Uh, the guy's just left and we're a three-piece band and he's gone. So I did that. That's how I got into music. Yeah. Uh, that was a group called Vice Versa and we, we evolved into ABC. Uh, we were always obsessed with James Brown records and Sheik records and how, how they got the rhythm section to play so well. You know, that was kind of something. I loved all those. Uh, Alex Sackin produced all these great records in Jamaica as well for Grace Jones and stuff. We used to and we used to say, "Can we not make our band sound like that?" You know, that was the obsession to make it swing. Basically, that took a long time. Now, because we were punks, we were punk rockers. You know, we came from that background. Well, how did you cultivate your sound then? Because you were punk rockers, but your sound—you know—when I think about it, it's just a—it it punches you. Your songs punch. You know, when you sit there and you would go to a club and you heard bum bum bum, you wanted to get out and dance. You know. Yeah, I mean, we were interested in that idea of uh, using electronic music as well as as live music and fusing it together, because there was a real punch, uh, and it's about the spaces you put into the music, really. You know, uh, so yeah, we were using samplers and. Yeah, just to kind of really hit 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 people's ear, ear earworms, you know, hit their eardrums. But way back then, so with the look of love, we used to do a lot of twelve-inch mixes as well for the clubs, uh, and listen to the stuff that was coming out of New York and I don't know Los Angeles, I suppose. Um, the way you could take a piece of music and, and make it work perfectly for a, for a club system back then—that was a, also another obsession. It seemed to take a couple of years out of my life, you know, just listening to stuff constantly. Now, tell me about the first time you were on Top of the Pops. Because I know I talk to people like that's that's legendary. Like people in America don't understand. For a musician, you know, you talk to people, that's like, wow. Tell me about. Well, the- we did the American Bandstand and uh, that was the kind of Madonna was on doing Holiday, I think, uh, Lionel Richie. And I met LL Cool J. He was in Rock the Bells, I think. That was his first hit, I think. Yeah, uh, and we did Soul Train as well. But Top of the Pops in the in your in England, Top of the Pops is like everybody watched that show uh, on a Thursday night. It would come on and it would have just it was a pop show. You know, you have bands in the studio performing. I'm sure you've seen it a thousand times. But it was one of the definitive shows. So if you were on that show, everybody knew you overnight in an instant. So we got called down to do Top of the Pops uh, with Tears Not Enough, our first single. So one minute I'm signing on the doll, which is, uh, you know, in Sheffield, uh, what they call that in, in America. You know, I'm getting my rent rebate and stuff like that. And the next minute I'm hitchhiking down to London to be on the show. I got this like sparkly tuxedo I found in a vintage store and I wore that. And there you go. You, you know, you're an overnight success. You're a pop star. It's fantastic. It's like a portal to go through, really. Uh, 
and then I'm back in Sheffield the next day, you know. I always laugh and say, on top of the pops, when I look at the footage now, there's sometimes there's guys in bands and they wear dark glasses and a hat and they try and hide. It's because they were signing on the doll. They, they didn't want anyone to know they were pops. They were getting their, um, what do you call it in America? Uh, they were getting their... Uh, uh, welfare. Money from the state. Welfare. 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 Yeah, welfare. So, yeah, there's a lot of that, you know, for the, for the starving musicians. Suddenly they were, you know, in the limelight. So it was a great feeling. And also you walk in a room and there's like Robert Palmer over there or there's like kind of, you know, UB40 uh, at the time and uh, Adamant and stuff, all these guys you'd seen, you know, pop stars. So you were there in a room with them. You know, it was a curious, curious uh, experience. Now, what was it like when all of a sudden you guys shoot up the charts in the UK and you're known and, you know, and then you come to, you know, when you America, you're known. Plus, people know you more because of videos. And you guys yeah. always, you guys had very, you had stylized videos. You know, they were good. I mean, even, you know, the, the uh, look of love is a little bit dark, but it's good. It, it, oh, no, it's, we love Benny Hill. And we wanted to do something totally different to every other band. So we asked the guy to do us. And that was, that was where the look of love came. Well, what was it like when people just started recognizing you? I mean, you're, you, it's got to change your life. And it's got to be, it's got to be great. But it has to be a little bit intimidating at times, too. Yeah, it is. But it's funny what context people are surprised. I mean, I would be back in Sheffield, my hometown, and uh, I'd be in the laundrette, get my stuff washed. Because in rock and roll, you, you get the checks, you get the paychecks, but they, they, it takes a long time for them to arrive as a songwriter. So I'd be in the, in the laundrette or in my local pub, bars, and people couldn't really kind of expect to see me there. They expected me to be living the high life somewhere. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a... It, that is a tough thing to go through because your friends, you go from hanging out and then when you're on the cusp, your friends are there. They're often in bands. They're competing with you. They want to have success too. But they see you going through, the, going someplace. And um, you go back home and that it, you kind of reflect. People kind of go, <clears throat> am I successful? Because he's successful. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it is, it is quite isolating in a way. Yeah, there's no way around that. No. You just got to be yourself. Where's the gold jacket come from? You know, for the gold jacket, Elvis. Now, did you? Did that? Something was Elvis a big influence to you? Yeah, yeah, Elvis. Elvis. His movies. They're on TV all the time in the uh, in the sort of seventies. Yeah, Elvis was fantastic. Yeah, we all know that. Yeah, he's the best. Elvis did everything. So, uh, if he had a jacket, I thought, yeah, I'm going to get one. Yeah, mine's going to be an eighties one though. Mine's a different style. You know. So I went down to London and got this guy to make one for me. Yeah, you couldn't buy them in the shops or anything. You know. How could I put it? The 80s was quite a flamboyant time. The times they were changing. So the big shoulder pads, the big choruses, especially in, in London uh, and, and the rest of Britain. I mean, it took a while for the leather trousers to kind of leave rock and roll in American stuff. But the British stuff was like cutting edge. So, yeah, it felt right to, to kind of go in that direction. Yeah. Now, what it's was not just about what you wear, but amping it up a bit. Yeah. Now, now, what was your first attention seeking as well? Attention seeking. Well, it's yeah. good though. What was your, what was your first experience in America when you came to America? Uh, we came and played um, in New York, uh, and Andy Warhol came to the show and he invited us down to the factory, uh, and he was really into the music. Yeah, we were just kind of breaking through, and he was interested in the whole. He he just chatted to us and stuff, down to earth guy. I mean, obviously a legendary artist, but. We were just young, you know, and he just he just come to, come to the factory and um, have a cup of coffee, you know, hang out. 
and he was signing all these posters for people and chat. He was really interested in the, the clips, the video clips, because he'd made films and he was interested in like why you would make a film for three minutes for a pop song, you know. He was really clued up on that. Yeah. No, and then, yeah, I mean, that was it. And then in New York, I realized, uh, I didn't think we were very popular, but I, I went to a place to try and buy a burger and the guy said, no, wait, you're not paying. You're getting this one for free. And I did think, yeah, okay. I've arrived, you know, because they had a TV on with MTV on it in the side, in the corner of the room. Now, as you're getting bigger, the first album's a hit. What's going through the band's mind when you have to come out with a second album? Because the first album is such a hit. It must be hard to be creative because also, you know, you guys. No, be... never hard, Steve. It's never hard to be creative. It's never hard. I kind of figured uh, we'd do something totally different. We'll see if we can take the audience with us. We didn't, but you kind of wanted to stretch things. Instead of just duplicating what you'd done with Alexa Can Love, we wanted to do, with an album called Beauty Stab, make a much rawer sound. And at the time, it was just before um, The Smiths and just before R.E.M. Came, kind of came through. We went back to the kind of guitar uh, drawing board. It didn't suit us at all. And uh, the album's got a couple of good songs in it, but it didn't work uh, at all. But it, it felt good to experiment. Yeah, definitely. So after that, what direction did you decide to go into? If you... To be honest, um, we changed direction all the time, like the wind. It was like uh, you know, a, a yacht zigzagging across the sea in ABC. So by the time we did our third album, it was an electronic album, uh, all electronic, totally unlike anything we'd done before. And on that record, uh, How to Be a Millionaire, Be Near Me, Vanity Kills, Ocean Blue, they were kind of records that came out, I don't know, it just seemed it felt right to try and push the boundaries with the music, definitely. And I always felt that we we didn't get jobs in banks. We didn't have to really do what the record label told us. We should have listened some of the time, you know what I mean? But the, the uh, exuberance of youth means that you kind of stick to your guns. So no regrets. And now all these years on, it's kind of nice on Spotify for people to be able to listen to our the rise and fall and rise of ABC, you know. I'm glad that we, we did experiment, really. Yeah, it was good. We sold a lot of records, and then sometimes you wouldn't sell, but it was kind of the right way forward for us. Yeah, definitely. Now, where did uh, Poison Arrow come from, that song? Because I love that song. Uh, Poison Arrow, is the, fortunately, everybody has had a broken heart, so ever had somebody refuse, to, you know, kind of... Poison Arrow, who broke my heart? You did, you did. Bow to the target, blame Cupid, Cupid. So that song comes from unrequited love. And uh, fortunately, on the planet, I'd say about 95% of the people have had that experience. So, yeah, that's where that came from. Now, so that you have one more question, and then I've got, to, I've got to dive out. Sorry, the guys want me to go and do something here. Sorry. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Uh, just tell me about the last kind of love, too. Oh, yeah, well, that came out... Uh, at, I'd written a bunch of songs uh, and I played them on my phone to uh, somebody and they said, you know, that could be like the lexicon of love too. So I said, well, I started writing and uh, recording some stuff and called it the lexicon of a lost ideal. And it was all quite orchestral. And Anne Dudley, who um, she's the conductor and uh, arranges a lot of the strings for us. She came down, uh, Rob Fasari uh, came down um, from Jersey, actually. Yeah, he's from that part of the world. And we started writing some songs and people said, well, in a way, it was kind of like a, a chance to follow up 35 years later from the Lexicon of Love 1. 
So on that album, there's I don't think it got released in America, but it did very well in Europe. And there's songs like Viva Love and uh, Flames of Desire, Ten Below Zero on that. Yeah, very emotional, high octane orchestral songs. Yeah, in the great tradition of the Lexicon of Love. And one more, what can the uh, fans expect to see from your concerts this coming in America? Well, we've learned that uh, it's a great, great honor to stand on stage in 2022. So for us to be able to, it, the six-piece band's firing and um, the chance to play, you know, How to Be a Millionaire and Be Near Me and um, The Look of Love and Poison Arrow is phenomenal. So uh, you're, you're going to see something good. Yeah. Well, I thank you, Martin. I know you're a busy Thanks, man. Dave. And you have a wonderful time in America. Take care. Okay. Thanks bye -bye. very much. Okay, bye-bye. That was Martin Fry, people. I'm Steve Cooper. Uh, check out my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 900 episodes. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter at coopertalk. Instagram at coopertalk1. I'm Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, take your vitamins, eat your vegetables, and I'll talk to you next time.